In Amazon's nine-part global thriller, The Power, sustained and elevated estrogen causes people across the world to develop a new organ capable of producing and conducting electricity. Younger people can awaken the power in older people. Soon enough, most women can do it. Sooner still, non-binary, intersex, and gender non-conforming people reveal they've got the power too. And with that comes a startling reversal in gender-based power dynamics and the revelation how the world responds may merely repeat the mistakes of the past. Leading into the final two episodes of The Power, let's break down what each character must face if they want to make it out alive. Let's get started with our recap of episode 7, Baptism. Roxy. Come one, come all. For 20 pounds a session, Roxy teaches newly awakened people how to use their skeins, and it turns out that using a skein is a lot like being in a fight. How many of you ever been in a fight? A real fight. Yeah. That's what Roxy thought, too. You gotta throw a bolt of lightning like a punch. It's gotta come from your gut. Meanwhile, Allie watches the latest news footage covering Urban Docs and the man who set himself on fire to send a message at the end of the last episode. Urban Docs is coming for anyone who has the power. That includes Allie and her growing community of rebel minds. The voice says, you better protect your Garden of Eden. Note then in Allie's mind, she is petting a huge yellow serpent laying across her lap in the entire couch. But the next shot cuts back to her watching the news, and that's not a real python. The snake is gone. It's unclear what this is meant to suggest is happening for Allie. Is the literal imagery of a serpent across her lap meant to be taken as her literal perception? Is the voice now manifesting for Allie as a fully corporal being? The book already confirmed the voice is a real presence, a spirit, who has been with humanity for thousands of years. The show has otherwise been deliberate about its imagery and foreshadowing without yet revealing the scope of characterization it will ultimately give to the voice. Time will tell how large a character the voice becomes for more than whoever it is currently possessing. Jocelyn goes to school. You can see from her face that she's still disturbed by the man who took his own life just to send a message. You can see from her reaction to a student, hurling slurs and wearing an Urban Docs hat, that the martyr won. Jocelyn is terrified. She doesn't defend herself. She cowers. She cringes. It's a moment I believe makes her empathize with what the intersex character Ryan may have experienced every day of his life. Jocelyn didn't start being attacked as something other than cisgender until her skein awakened. But Ryan has been facing persecution for being intersex his entire life. But you know what they say, losing the battle doesn't mean you lost the war. Jocelyn and Ryan will have another opportunity to prove themselves as each other's allies. Tunde goes to Carpathia, where he's delighted to meet Declan Bliss in an extravagant lounge. Declan wants his help to infiltrate Zoya's growing group of insurgents. Declan says they're angry and they're hiring. He believes Tunde can get inside. These girls eat men for breakfast. What else would you expect when they recently liberated themselves from a sex trafficking ring? Tunde buys a gun, and I'm with everyone who's... It feels kind of confusing, and yet at the same time, it makes sense. In the universe of the power of both the book and now the show, he has every reason to feel afraid and to understand that his biology means he will not have a scheme. He does not have that power. How can he defend himself, even with his recent argument that you need to trust in women 
not to hurt you, just as a woman must trust a man not to use what is often superior physical strength. Have to trust each other, not to hurt each other, and yet he is afraid, and so he buys a gun. Two days journey by boat into Carpathia reveals how grim things have become for all. Carpathia is the sex trafficking capital of the world. Women were once subjugated without thought or reservation, but as Tony rides past the coastline and the forest, he sees camps of male refugees, and they're not from other countries. They are men who fled torture and death from the newly awakened women who remember what those men did to them. Once back on land, Tunde makes one final preparation. Now, that's when he buys the gun I mentioned. He buys a gun from the back of a Romanian car in the middle of the countryside. When he fires bullets, a flash of power comes over him. A kind of baptism by gunfire. Meanwhile, Tatiana, president of Moskalev, makes the tough decision to spend millions instead of billions in order to control any woman with the power. It's a huge cost, but as his generals remind him, placing anchor bristles on any woman with an awakened skein will be cheaper than building prisons for all of them. Much to Tatiana's chagrin, he puts a bracelet on her ankle. Meanwhile, Ali finds Savannah trying to break into Sister Veronica's office. Sister Veronica took Savannah's phone away for using electricity. That means Savannah has been unable to call her three-year-old daughter Riley for two days. Ali teaches Savannah a strategy to channel her skein's power. Think of everyone who has ever hurt you. Feel that anger growing in your chest. Let it build like a pot of boiling water. Soon enough, it will be too much to contain. Soon enough, you'll have to let it go. Then, zap. Once inside, Savannah gets her phone and calls her daughter. It's sweet. But then Ali sees the unique scars left by a victim of an electric shock. Savannah accidentally hurt her daughter Riley like that. Allie sees that these girls need to be taught how to use their powers as much to keep themselves safe as to not harm the people they love. Roxy returns home and gives the money to Terry's mom. That's the brother who died in her impulsive rush to kill the man who murdered her mother. She gives the money to Terry's mom out of a slim hope that the money will earn, of course, never love, but perhaps forgiveness, maybe even appreciation. That's not to come for them. Her dad meets with the lawyers and Roxy's other siblings to decide who will inherit which parts of the business. It's like HBO's succession, but on a much different playing field. Roxy's brother Ricky insists the business originally originally to be split originally to be split into equal thirds between the three brothers should now be split into halves. He's getting married, you see, and he wants the extra money for security. But Roxy's dad believes that in ten years the family might look out of step without a woman at the top. He needs first to see how his youngest and his oldest work together. At least for now, Roxy has at least one more chance to prove herself to her father. I said, God damn. Tunde arrives at Zoe's compound. They usher him to an upper level of the abandoned but secure building where he watches from above as Zoya gives birth in the middle of the courtyard. Damn, that that is an unsanitary birth for sure. It's a girl. Personally, I thought it could have been a good chance to show off more subtle expressions of a person's skein and the electricity. In the book, this kind of embodied haywire means you easily send out uncontrollable electric shocks. Some women get themselves killed, 
like getting trapped in a car wreck, panicking and jolting the car until it explodes. What if something like that had happened while Zoya was giving birth? Could they at least have used the electric power to zap away any germs? Well, the other thing is that the show gives a very graphic shot of the birth. I guess pieces of a woman really shifted the Overton window for film depictions of births. Game of Thrones used nudity for sex position. This is something else. This is power. Now to see how the power is superseding, overpowering, taking over, defeating, dominating Game of Thrones, Tatiana takes a bath and gets a visit from Solongo. You remember Solongo from the episode 5 recap. That's the girl they let Tatiana keep because they don't know what really happened between them. At the end of episode 5, Tatiana cornered Solongo, the one woman left in the palace who has the electric power. Tatiana said, give it to me. And Solongo activated Tatiana's skein. Now, Tatiana emerges from the bath as casually nude as her sister was moments ago. The show does a great job of reclaiming women's bodies for more than an eroticized male gaze. Having said that, Solongo came to see Tatiana for a reason. She wants Tatiana's help getting her brother out of prison for a crime he did not commit. This is where the scene gets weird and honestly lost to me. Tatiana doesn't care about anything Solongo said. She kisses Solongo. She turns this into a very sexual encounter. In this room, Tatiana is the one with power. Solongo's expression says it all. Jesus put out of place at the audience. She asks for help, and instead of answering, Tatiana just kisses her. Now, believe it or not, Roxy and Terry do a great job intimidating the man who owes their father money. When the guy won't shut up, we get another extremely graphic shot. He's in the pool, Roxy's finger dips into the water, and then comes a zap. God, the show is really going for it with this episode. First a shot of a live birth, then a shot of Tatiana fully nude as she exits the bath, and now a shot of this dude literally shitting himself when Roxy zaps him in the pool. Does a baptism affect you differently depending on whether the water is full of poo? I know Jesus turned water into wine, but... Back with Allie, she and the girls go to the shoreline. They wade deeper into the water while she stays on the edge of the surf. After that awful report on urban docks and what she sees all women will face going forward, she's thinking lots and lots about what these girls need to learn about their powers. All of the things she has been able to discover that no one else knows. Just how easy it is for her to follow the directions of the voice and use her power in ways no one else understands. She remembers what the eels taught her in episode one. They can use a kind of mind control by sending electric pulses into their victim's mind. So she sends electric pulses into the ocean water. The girls feel it. They're tickled. They're confused. They're under Allie's control without knowing it. And Allie understands that she doesn't need their consent, their cooperation. She can make them do what is needed for their own good. The show is not saying so directly, but in its own way, Allie is in danger of becoming the modern version of sister Veronica. She bends people to her will. The only difference is that Veronica uses overt abuse, whereas Allie uses the power to control you without you ever knowing it happened. It's empowering to know you can get what you want, whenever you want. Allie will moments from now, however, receive the biggest red flag of all time. She wonders for a second if maybe she should stop. It's easy to keep going when everyone believes in you. She has each girl on her side. They call her 
Mother Eve. They believe her power comes not just from the skein, but from her speaking to God. Then a new person arrives at the convent. Her name is Jean. Jean's father was an abusive preacher. So when the girl starts speaking of Mother Eve, who speaks to God, Jean holds up her hands. She's not about the religious stuff, and since she's not blinded by awe and divine wonder, she can see Alif who she really is, if only she could recognize her. Jean, you see, is also from Alabama, and she's pretty sure she's seen Ali before. Ali believes her safety here depends on leaving that old identity behind. It's easy for her to live as Mother Eve when she is surrounded by people who believe in her. Her only enemy is Sister Veronica. But Veronica confronts Ali on the beach. She discovered the evidence of Ali and Savannah breaking into her office. She tells Ali this is unacceptable. She's going to find out who Ali really is and tell the world. The threat sends Ali to church and to her knees. Gotta listen to that song, Take Me to Church for This. She's full of shame and flashbacks to what sent her into hiding. She killed her father. She doesn't know whether he deserved it. Does that matter? She's a killer. She no longer believes she is worthy. But the voice is there to remind her that she has a greater purpose. Alice screams to God, to Mother Eve, to the voice. <laughs> She's right. I'm a fraud. I'm a killer. They're gonna kick me out and send me back. Not if you own the place. Not if you make them believe. Belief is power. Jocelyn, you'll understand, is terrified too. She watches those videos Roxy puts up on how to use your skin to fight, to defend yourself, to know your power, how to use it for shield, safety, and comfort. Then comes the greatest of Maz to say anything ever filmed. Ryan plays music and lights up a heart-shaped string of lights on the ground with a skein. He says that he thought a lot about the way the world is now. The same people who want to hurt her also want to hurt him. He needs her, and she needs him. He wants them to fight this together. Jocelyn made a mistake. She's an imperfect ally, but she is an ally. From the window, however, Maddie filmed it all. The preview for the next episode hints at the consequences of Maddie releasing footage of Ryan using his skein. For Urban Dogs, a man with a skein is as good as a woman. And for Yudi and Maddie, all women are dangerous. <sighs> this scene. Zoya and Tunde. Zoya grills and eats. The baby placenta. Nothing can go to waste. You see, it has too many nutrients to simply discard. Tunde sits across from her as she eats. She needs an act of solidarity from him. A gesture of good faith. That he can collaborate with her even when those actions run contrary to his instincts. And so she asks him to eat a piece of the placenta. And because he is her ally, he puts aside his hesitation. He eats. Mm -mm. Tunde says he would love to cover her story, and not just because Declan Bleas asked him to do so. He believes Zoya will be an important voice in the world to come. Zoya will help him, but she wants payment from him first. The problem is that for her, payment doesn't mean money. Declan used Tunde to infiltrate Zoya's compound. Now Zoya will use Tunde to infiltrate the palace and hopefully free her sister. Remember, 
The show likes to establish which character belongs to which chess pieces. Tatiana is the queen, and Zoya is the rook. The show is putting each of those pieces in place. A rook is generally limited in movement unless it is in position to pair with a king and trade places in a move known as a castle. Let us see what happens when Zoya puts her rook into position. Ali remains inside the church. Whatever she's wrong about, don't ever question her faith. It is the bedrock of her being. She turns to the voice with a sincere belief that it is God speaking to her and through her, but she keeps her ears open to the world around her, and she hears cries for help. Savannah has gone missing. Sister Veronica screams for the girls to go back inside. Forget about Savannah. She already knows why Savannah has disappeared. Ali finds Savannah on top of a roof, ready to jump. She's covered in blood after attempting to cut out her own skein. Savannah felt a moment of power earlier in the episode when she used electricity to break into Sister Veronica's office, take back her phone, and call her daughter Riley. But then Veronica punished Savannah. Her daughter Riley is being put into foster care. As far as Savannah is concerned, the skein has brought her nothing but misery. Allie offers her what we so often need in those moments of urgent agony. She tells Savannah that she is seen, she is heard, she is loved. She promises that together they will live long enough to see that this gets better. After that, the girls, and most notably the trans nun sister Maria, sit around a campfire on the shores by the convent. They each share their stories of womanhood. Luanne, recently cured of seizures by Ali, begins by sharing when she first understood she was a girl. Until she was seven, she was just a person, but then men let her know that, at least to them, she was a woman, and as a woman, she would never be as worthy of power as them. It's notable here that the show's casual mixture of cis, trans, non-binary, intersex, and other gender non-conforming characters makes it easy to empathize with each character. Luanne could just as easily be saying that she is non-binary, but they were forced into the identity of womanhood by the people who declared that anyone with their physical characteristics simply does not count. While Savannah rests in the gentle arms of Sister Maria, a second rebel nun shares her story. Her name is Sister Bianca, played by Eva Jane Williams. Sister Bianca says, When I was nine years old, I told my mom what my uncle did to me. She got so mad, she hit me in the face over and over. She said he had a bad childhood. He didn't know any better, and I shouldn't say stuff about him, so I never said a word to anybody else, ever, again. Allie can only hear so much before she cannot help but truly hear them. Her ears and her heart are open. The voice says, they need something to believe in. Make them believe in you. Allie understands in her heart what the voice then tells her. These girls need to believe. They need, if just for a moment, to feel in their hearts what they already know to be true. In this sense, Allie can use the electricity, sort of like an antidepressant. She can affect how these girls feel, their mood, the sense that something is real, fake, illusory, or that it is in fact God speaking to them. The mind and the body are linked, but the mind can know what the body does not yet experience. These girls believe in the power of God. But there is more to them than their skeins. There is more of them to be awakened. Allie is the one with the mind, the motivation, and the ability to awaken their deepest natures. All they need is a baptism of electricity. Allie leads the girls, with Sister Bianca and the trans nun, Sister Maria, among them, into the water, where she sends a current through the water and through the women. 
We are so often separate people trying to work as a whole, but thanks to this gain in the lattice work of electricity, the water conducts the energy and unifies them as one. Most of these girls already have awakened skeins, but now they have two nuns on their side as well. Sister Bianca will have an awakened skein, and though some wondered whether Sister Maria being trans meant she would have a skein, the science of skeins and the author of the book itself confirm that trans women are women. Skeins belong to them, too. Skeins come not from a narrow collection of physical traits we call man or woman, but from sustained and elevated estrogen. Thanks to Allie, Sister Maria now joins the rest of the girls in their fight for power. The only one who looks on with scorn and fear of what's to come is Sister Veronica. For me, Allie and the rest of the convent having such easy access to television and outside information disrupts my suspension of disbelief for what comes at the end of the episode. In the book, most of the girls were ignorant about the power and had no way to educate themselves. Allie's acts spoke more of miracles and silent than... Allie's acts spoke more of miracles than science because that was the only language they had to explain what was happening to them. But in the world of the show, the characters are literally watching a government sponsored But in the world of the show, the characters are literally watching government sponsored documentaries that explain what skeins are and how the power works. At the beginning of this very episode, Allie watches detailed news reports on urban dogs. There is no ignorance of mind and fullness of heart to motivate these girls to see Ali's miracles as anything other than a more skilled use of the power they now all share. All it takes is one person who does not share their faith to break the spell. It is for some time now been Sister Veronica who compels them to follow her not through respect but through discipline and punishment. Because that counter-argument has come from Sister Veronica, it has been incredibly easy for the girls to reject. But how will the girls react when the seeds of doubt come from someone they trust? Note who is not present on the shore or in the water, the new world gene. The one who, like Allie, is from Alabama, the one who could reveal Allie's past and thus provide the greatest test of faith for her followers to come 